0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at org.
1: It's it's uh, good to be back at Berean, despite Bates' sense of humor. Um, as Pastor Jim mentioned, I, I grew up here. Uh, and, and when I come back, I see a lot of faces I don't recognize, and that's good. I mean, that is as it, it would be pretty sad if I recognized everybody here. So I left when I was 17 to go to college, and have been back for the occasional Sunday since then, so I should see a lot of people I don't recognize. And I look out and I think about, about people I grew up with here at Berean. Who most of whom are now with the Lord. Um, there's Ken Myers, right, and and Wilson and Evelyn Fossey. and but but Al and Carol are still here. Uh, Dave Kane is supposed to be in that little area where you come in the door down there. I mean, Dave Kane is supposed to be there. Um, that's all very good. And and as I get older, I think you know what those people. Those people had an impact on my life that I was unaware of then and am only beginning to realize now because those people were examples for me of what it meant to be a Christian. And in in my case, a Christian male. I I grew up in a church where there were men who modeled um, the Christian life and modeled service to God in the church. And, and I'm thankful for that. We learn a lot by observing others, whether we're aware of it or not. Uh, we have two wonderful sons who married two wonderful gals who are our daughters. And we have four grandchildren that surpass even Pastor Jim's. Um, our older son, Steve, uh, dated in high school, but... But he got his dating skills from his father. He didn't go real well, OK? It was mostly a disaster. And he graduated and went off to college. And and so his younger brother, Josh, going through high school, and we asked him about dating. And he he said he wasn't going to. Um, He watched what Steve went through and thought, why would I want to do that? He learned from his brother's example. And I think he would be single still if if he hadn't gone back to college and been asked out uh, on a date by Aubrey. and, and wisely decided, okay, this works and married her and, and, uh, that was that. Do you remember when Michael Jordan was at his prime, some of you, that, that when he had the ball and was, was working, his, he had his tongue hanging out. And, and how all the little guys playing ball on the field, uh, on the playground, started playing with their tongues hanging out. Because that's what my and so sometimes it's an intentional modeling and sometimes it it's and that's why uh, we teach our children Bible stories. We want them to learn courage from Daniel and obedience from Joseph and and service from Jonah, even if it's reluctant service. And we teach them those Bible stories in hopes that they will then. Uh, take those in as patterns, as models. And that's what I want to do this morning. Because as adults, we can do the same thing. We can go look at, at Bible characters and see what they did and use them as a pattern. Turn to Acts chapter 13. I would like to do that this morning with the Apostle Paul and what we call his missionary journeys. He didn't call them that, but we do. And look at Paul's missionary journeys and see what we can learn about missions. You guys are having your missions conference beginning a week from today. Uh, and, and, and over the years, um, being a pastor mostly, but also my time teaching at the college, I've come to some, I was telling Pastor Gary before the service, I've come to some fairly settled conclusions about missions, some convictions about missions, and I'd like to share those with you this morning, and I think they're biblical, and that's what I'd like, That's why I'd like to go through um, very briefly, skim through the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Um, so I can show you uh, a little bit maybe what those convictions are, because I really do think that Paul uh, set a pattern for us. That, that, that is not accidental, that God intended that we should look at Paul and say, okay, this is how missions should be done. In some cases, we follow that pattern better than others. And so what I'm doing this morning is kind of laying a groundwork for tonight. I, I would like to do something a little different tonight. I'd, I'd like to to be more collaborative. I'd like to think through some issues and wrestle with some things because some of the things we'll talk about are not black and white. We struggle with them. There's a whole field called missiology and it is the study of missions and how we do missions. And I read about uh, this week about another argument within missiology. What do you do with cultures that don't have a written language? Should you give them a written language or should you, since they are an oral culture, should you present the gospel to them and leave them be an oral culture? And so I want to talk tonight about the implications of some of what we'll look at this morning. Acts chapter 13. Now, I have to apologize. I I keep my small Bible in the car. This is the one I take to church. Uh, My preaching Bible, which has print this big. I left at home. I forgot. And so driving up here, um, I I had this one in the car, and I'll have a little trouble reading this one. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and then a list of guys, some of whom have names that are not fair. Um, Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After fasting and praying, they laid, laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the beginning of the three missionary journeys uh, that Paul took. And so in verse 4, they, they go first to Cyprus, and the Holy Spirit directs them. And, and the text makes clear several times that the Holy Spirit directed where they went and what happened there and and I think one of the implications we can draw from that is that God is very much directing this and we should pay attention to those directions and see them in fact as a pattern and as a model um, here is uh, a map of Paul's first missionary journey and I know some of you are are very familiar with this Antioch was, was sort of their home base. It was not Paul's home church. He wasn't from Antioch. But it's, it's where each of these three missionary trips starts and pretty much ends. And on this first trip, they, they went out to the coast and then caught a, a boat and went and spent some time on Cyprus. And the Acts record is interesting that in some cases the Acts record tells us in some detail, what happened at each of these stops. And in others, it just mentions he preached here and then he went there and he preached there. And, and you get literally months pass by in a single verse. One of the interesting questions to ask is, why did Luke give us such detail on some stops and barely mention others? Uh, and when I was teaching this, um, th- I, I made my students memorize these maps. They had to, I would give them a blank map. And they would have to write down the cities and then the, uh, trace the journey on there. I have a number of former students in the room this morning and it would be interesting to call one of them up. Yeah, one of them's hiding down here in the front. <laughs> and, and one of the little devices I used to remember is that it looks like a ladle, a little bit like a ladle to me. huh? With a handle up at the top. And so in chapters 13 and 14... Luke gives us the record of this journey, uh, starting uh, out in Cyprus and then up around the top, and then notice that they retrace their steps. He doesn't explain why they don't retrace steps, uh, steps to Cyprus, but they do. They go back. The shortest return would have been from Derby back to Antioch, but for reasons that we'll see, they retrace and visit each of these churches. Their, the length of time they spent in each of these cities varies widely. In some cases, it was a matter of a couple of months, and in other cases, it was six, eight, ten months. And in many cases, we don't know how long. The text doesn't say how long they spent. But in each city, the pattern was the same. Go in, find the synagogue, and, and go to the synagogue and tell them that, A, Jesus was the Messiah, and B, He died on the cross paying the penalty for your sins. He was your Passover lamb paid the penalty for your sins, and God is now accepting Gentiles on an equal footing with Jews. None of that went over well. To say Jesus was the Messiah was heresy, and to say that Gentiles are now equal with Jews was double that, and so typically he'd get beat up. I'm thankful that in 42 years of ministry I never once got beat up, I did have a guy threaten to do it once, but he was off his meds, and so we could talk him off the ledge. Um, and, and so he would get beat up, and then he would go to the marketplace and and talk to the people. Just And, and Gentiles would get saved. I, I tell you what, let's do. Um, let's go to chapter 14, verse 21. They're, um, at this point, they're way out here at the end, at Derby. Chapter 14, verse 21. Excuse me while I find it in this little tiny print. When they had preached the gospel to that city, to Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so his pattern is to go in. I, 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 uh, I had a professor when I was a student at, at Grace Bible College, uh, Pearl Pickett. What a wonderful man. Uh, he's long since gone to be with the Lord. And he asked us in class one day, what is the goal of missions? If someone asked you, what is the goal of missions? What would you say? Then, of course, very quickly and easily, the the class answered, "Um, it is to uh, make Christians, make believers. No, wrong answer. The answer is not, the goal of missions is not to see people get saved. Oh, that's heresy! Certainly, it is. No, that is a means to an end, but it's not the end. I'm not going to tell you what it is, at least not yet. Okay? But I want you to notice that Paul establishes a pattern of going into a city, preaching the gospel, people get saved, and then he moves on. He leaves them behind. That's not very nice. Abandon them like that, but that's what he does. And then, and then he revisits them, strengthens them, encourages them, and it says, appoints elders in each church. Think how long these people have been saved. Uh, we're talking, in some cases, weeks they've been believers, and he appoints some of them to be elders. Wow. Okay. Okay, so he gets to Antioch and, uh, they're all glad to see him there, and they have a little conference and uh, a big potluck. And uh, he shows his slides. The last slide is a sunset, right? And, and then uh, uh, they have a couple of meetings, um, and then they, they go out on a second one. Uh, Turn with me to chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey let's um let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and and see how they are now Barnabas wanted to take with them John also called Mark. this was a, a young guy probably in his late teens, early twenties that they picked up on that first journey when they left but he bailed on them um, somewhere in here he bailed and and went back to Jerusalem he was young uh He'd been raised in a wealthy home, and he was was kind of a sissy, you know? And the hardships of the trail, he didn't like that so much. And Barnabas wants to take him along, verse 38. But Paul thought it best not to take him with them. One who had withdrawn from them, deserted them in Pamphylia, had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, here is—I'm uh, sorry—here is a picture of this second missionary journey, and Paul and uh, Silas take off because Barnabas and Mark head down to Cyprus. Paul and Silas take off and go back and visit. These same churches. It's been probably about a year since they were there. They go back and visit them to see how they're doing. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 6. And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and, and that is this area right here. I don't you probably can't see it, but that says Galatia right there. This is Phrygia and Galatia and so they've been back and visited each of these churches that they established on the on the first one uh, and when they went through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, don't think China because back then this was well there you see, this was known as Asia and it was their intent to go up there, but the Holy Spirit Forbade them. How he did that, we don't know. Maybe he shut down the airport. No, seriously, God sometimes works through circumstances like that. We read that, we assume God said, No, you can't go there. But it might have been a travel ban. Uh, But they saw in it the work of the Holy Spirit. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and so they go out to Troas. And it says down because it's all by elevation. When you're walking, you don't care north, south, east, west; you care uphill or downhill. And it was down to Troas, uh, Tro- down to Troas, because Troas is on on the coast. Um, this is this is really good. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Can I can I just stop for a minute? Um, there's a couple of things on TV tonight. There's a football game and 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 then another brawl uh, of debate. <laughs> I want you to meet some people tonight. the the passage the scripture passage this morning. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news? I want you to meet some people tonight who have the most beautiful feet I've ever seen. And I want to tell you about a modern day. This is called the Macedonian call. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, verse verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so uh, they they take a boat across and they go to all these towns and do here what they had done here on the first journey into the synagogue, preach the gospel, get beat up, go into the marketplace, see people get saved, gather them together as a church and leave town. Some of these places he was in, like uh, Thessalonica, he was there for about three weeks but people got saved, got them together, made a church, and, and went on. Some of these places, Athens, he went to and, and preached, and nobody got saved. And they kind of laughed at him, and nothing happened. Nothing came of it. So far as we know, nobody got saved. Okay, leave town. Go on to Corinth. Spent a year and a half, 18 months in Corinth. That's longer than he was anywhere. And, and well, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, too. So... There's the second missionary journey. Now, I don't have a map of the third missionary journey. You know why? Because it looks pretty much like the second missionary journey. Because what Paul did was, on the third missionary journey, go visit all these churches, and then go visit all these churches, and then go back. That is Paul's pattern. I mean, that's what he does. Three missionary journeys all follow the same pattern. He wasn't done... Um, After that third missionary journey, um, many of you know, he went to Jerusalem, got arrested, got shipped off to Rome for trial and uh, was uh, uh, put on trial and apparently found innocent because we know that he did some more traveling after that. There's some thinking he may have actually made it to Spain after that. Um, But we don't have a a clear and certain record of that. Uh, What we know is... I want you to uh, turn with me to Romans.
0: Um,
1: Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter fi- He wrote this letter to the church in Rome. He hasn't been there yet. Somebody, we don't know who, somebody got to Rome and did what Paul did. Preached the gospel. People got saved. Started church. And, and he planned... Now, he's, he's in Corinth... On his third missionary journey, this is a map of the second. He's on the third, and he's going to go from here to Jerusalem and hopes from Jerusalem to get to Rome. Okay, So he's writing this from Corinth on the third missionary journey, Romans 15, verse 20. He says, And thus I make it, he's talking about, "I'm, I'm, I'm going to come see you, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ had already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That was pretty easy for Paul to do because nobody had heard the gospel back then. It was all brand new. But he states as a general principle, he says, it is my goal to preach the gospel whether it's never been preached before. There was a guy uh, who died in the '90s named Ralph Winter. Uh, any of you heard of Ralph Winter? He is considered the father of missiology. He's got quite a Wikipedia article. And, and Ralph Winter's—I don't know actually what got him started on this. He says we need to we need to rethink how we're doing missions. And he's doing this back in the '60s, '70s, '80s. Uh, and, And he started this whole business of let's think critically and seriously and analytically about how we're doing missions. He's the one who came up with the term unreached people groups. And unreached people group, he said, first of all, we've got to stop thinking in terms of nations. Don't think in terms of nations. Boundaries are artificial. We don't care about nations. We care about whether or not they have Uh, The gospel in their midst, have they heard the gospel and is there a viable church there? If there is a viable church, then they're reached. Let's focus on places where Christ has never been named. There is no there is no healthy testimony to the gospel in that culture. And that's what this is where he got that from. Paul says, this is my goal. He says "To, to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. Um, I've actually, I've actually got this in one of our slides for tonight. It's a quote from Admiral Rickover, H. Rickover. Admiral Rickover uh, is, is considered, was considered, is considered. He's dead now, so he was, but he is considered the father of the nuclear navy. He was the first guy to say, you know what, we should make ships that have nuclear power plants so that they don't have to refuel all the time, and that's why we do. He taught at Annapolis. had a student once who turned in a paper uh, and Rickover gave it a failing grade and handed it back. And a student brought it in to him and said Admiral this is a good paper. I know it. This is a good paper. And Admiral Rickover said you're right it is a good paper. Not your best paper. You're capable of more. The good is the enemy of the best. That student uh, graduated from Annapolis, did his five years in the military and then went back to the family business in Georgia. Um, the family were peanut farmers and he went back to Georgia and raised peanuts ended up running and getting elected as governor of Georgia and went from governor of Georgia to the White House. His name was Jimmy Carter. Now, whatever you think of him as a president, and I don't think he was much of a president, but he wrote a book, and the title of his book was The Good is the Enemy of the Best. There's some real truth there. See, that saying stuck with him. And he determined that from then on, he wasn't going to sacrifice the best for the good. I think Paul teaches us by model Something that, uh, another term that Dr. Ralph Winters coined, and that is the indigenous church, that missions can do lots of things which are good, but the best is the establishment of the indigenous church. Uh, Pastor Jim said we moved to Eugene. We actually live outside of Elmira. Elmira, Oregon is an unincorporated town that has three businesses and a stop sign. And we live outside of the metropolis of Elmira. We moved there a week, ag- a year ago this coming Wednesday. We moved there October twelfth of last year to three acres with a creek running through it, and uh, and old growth Douglas fir trees. And we just loved it because right now our goal is to build a tiny house. Um, but right now we're living in a white trash single wide um, that was built in the seventies, and we have fixed it up a little bit. And what do you need? You know, we got a roof and a toilet flushes down, and that pretty much takes care of it. And we love looking out and seeing we're in the middle of a forest, and you look out and all you see is trees, and then you see forest floor. Out the front door, out the back door, uh, it's just gorgeous. Except about six months ago, I learned about something called the engraver beetle. The engraver beetle is, is a little tiny thing that burrows through the bark and gets into the cambium. And eats the cambium. And once it's eat the cambium all the way around the tree, it's called girdling the tree. And the tree doesn't have any way to get nutrients up and down. And the tree dies. And it takes between one and two years for a tree to die. And what we didn't realize when we moved there a year ago is that there were a bunch of engraver beetles in those trees. We got a little hot spot of infestation. And um, and so I had repeated visits from the Oregon State Department of Forestry. I'm on a first-name basis with, with Robin. Um, I yeah, and and we had uh, fish and wildlife out. We had the state entomologist out to look at our situation. And two months ago, we had to have about 60 uh, fir trees taken out because they were going to die and, and fall on our single wide, and that didn't seem like a very good idea. I've learned a whole bunch more about bugs and timber than I ever wanted to know. And because a logging operation of that size involves uh, a D7 Caterpillar and a huge track backhoe, it pretty much makes a mess, Um, turns it into bare ground. I mean bare. I mean like this carpet brown. Nothing. Now here we are about six weeks later, and there's little bits of green starting to show up. Unfortunately, I learned from Robin that the green that's showing up are wild
0: blackberries.
1: (laughs) And I learned that wild blackberries are not indigenous to Western Oregon. They're not native to Western Oregon. The sword ferns are indigenous. The Douglas fir trees are indigenous. The wild blackberries are an invasive species. Okay? You understand then that indigenous, it belongs there. It's homegrown. That is its native environment. And Ralph Winter says, the Apostle Paul teaches us that the goal of missions is the establishment of indigenous churches. Everything else is not. It may be good. But the good is the enemy of the best. And the best is the establishment of indigenous churches. Now the question is, what is an indigenous church? And and uh, and Ralph said that the indigenous church is, first of all, self-governing. Paul appointed elders in each church. And so the missionaries don't run the church. The people run the church. It is self-governing. Secondly, I I just uh, second I stuttered. Um, It is it is self-supporting. At whatever economic level those people live, that's the economic level that the church should be at. If it has a pastor who receives a salary, the church should provide that salary financially. It is self-supporting, and finally, it is self-propagating. It reproduces like those blackberries, which are an invasive species. It, and, and so what you do is you plant a church uh, like he did. You go back and visit that church and, and let's see how they're doing and strengthen them. And maybe you write letters to them or do whatever else Paul did. You do those things, but then they send out and they propagate. And so it's interesting Some of you may be familiar that in the book of Revelation, it starts out with an address to seven churches. If you plot those on a map, they are in a semicircle around the city of Ephesus that Paul planted a church in Ephesus, and then they planted these churches in the area around them. They were self-propagating. Now, we're going to talk more about what is an indigenous church tonight because there's a whole lot more interesting stuff involved, but that is the goal of missions, The indigenous church was God's pattern, and is an amazing thing. And when you start looking at at missions and this, when you start looking at missions like this, and that's part of what I want to do tonight. Um, I'll tell you right now, man, I'm going to have trouble. I'm going to have trouble with my emotions tonight. True confession. I haven't always been a big fan of missions and missionary conferences. I'm sorry. Um, I never really liked missionary conferences because, first of all, you got to go to all those meetings at church, okay? And and when you're a teenager, you don't want to go to all those meetings at church. And then there's the people who are missionaries. There, there's normal people, okay? And then there's homeschoolers. And then there's missionaries. And it's a continuum. Out like this, okay? Now I've just defended every homeschooler in the room. It's okay. Some of my best friends are homeschoolers. But you know, there's like, missionaries are spiritual geeks. They don't like football. Every day is a bad hair day. They don't believe in malls. Um, they're just weird. And they talk to you, uh, uh, missions trip, guilt trip. They kind of go together. Missionaries have got it down to a science to make me feel bad and inadequate because here I am enjoying the comforts of while they're out serving the Lord. Now, I'm not saying any of that is accurate, but that's how I felt, that's how I took in missions. And then I started getting involved in indigenous church planting, especially with unreached people groups. And I'm telling you, man, there are some heroes out there. I want you to meet, um, by virtue of the screen, Jeff and Shannon Husa. I'm going to tell you a story that is just incredible. Incredible. They're just ordinary people. And Jeff likes football and, and built a, a sailboat. And they're just really cool people. We're friends. And uh, and they have established an indigenous church. I won't tell you about it now. I'm going to tell you about it tonight. The indigenous church is self, um, self-governing, self-propagating, self-supporting, it is also an incredibly effective way to spread the gospel. When missionaries from the land of the white people go into a culture and preach the gospel and people get saved and then and then they stay there and don't plant an indigenous church but run things, you know whose religion it is? I mean, it's colonialism. This is the white guy's religion. And, and it just breeds all sorts of unhealthy repercussions. And if our church got hit by a bad storm and fell down, the missionaries have all the money because they got the connections back in the States to help us rebuild it. Where is our sense of responsibility to the Lord's work here? It, 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 it just brings about all kinds of, of bad consequences. But when missionaries go in and say, Here's the gospel, and the Holy Spirit does his work, and people get saved, and then they say, Okay, now you do church. Sometimes they make a mess of it. They did in Corinth. Sometimes they will soar to heights you could not imagine. Paul spent three weeks in Thessalonica. And within six months, those people were standing up and being martyred for their faith. Yeah, Philippi, he loved those people so dearly. I think Paul could have very easily spent the rest of his life there. But it would not have been healthy for that church. It would have been Paul's church, not their church. Long and the short of it, I believe God gave us a pattern in the Apostle Paul who practiced what we now call indigenous missions. And I think there is incredible power in doing that. There are some people who are practicing that now. We're going to work some of the issues tonight. And I want you to help me. We're going to work some of the tricky issues involved in this. How much can you do? How much shouldn't you do? Where are the lines? How can you identify? I'm going to throw some slides up there and you're going to vote is this an indigenous church or isn't it? And, and there are some marks of, this is, you make words up, okay? There are some measures of indigeneity. I gave you the three main standards, but there are some things within that. And, and we'll throw up, and, and you're going to say, yes, that's it, not that, okay? And so, y- y- y'all were pretty happy to see the Huskies put a beat down on the Ducks yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that the people at our church in Oregon aren't in the same mood this morning that you are. <laughs> they are rabid Duck fans down there. It's it's a religion down there. But there, what else is going on in Central Oregon? Nothing! except engraver beetles killing trees. Do you get excited about a people who have never heard the name Jesus? Never, ever heard anything about Jeff and Shannon, among the first white people they'd ever seen, never mind heard the name Jesus. And now they are an indigenous church about 16 years later, self-governing, self-supporting, self-propagating self-propagating in heaven I'm going to meet Mibu my brothers and sisters in Christ in Mibu who never heard the name Jesus the good is the enemy of the best and the best Is that people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And the best way for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is to plant indigenous churches in unreached people groups and then support the local church, which is what I've had the privilege to do for the last year. Um, A year ago, uh, two weeks ago, uh, a year and two weeks ago, I was in Costa Rica working with a local church and working uh, with Alonzo. You'll meet Alonzo tonight. Um, nine months ago, I was in Puerto Rico working with Pastor Miguel and, and his elders and his church. And then I went to Tanzania and uh, was at a pastor's conference in Tanzania teaching the pastors. See, these guys, they don't know anything. They've never, they've never been to Bible school. They don't know how to write and deliver a sermon. They don't know basic theology. And so it's an indigenous church then that we go write letters to and support And then, Lord willing, end of January, 1st of February, I'll be going to Brazil. Again, um, meet with pastors and train them to be better pastors and then get out. Get out and let them do the work of the ministry. The indigenous church is where where it's at. That's how God works. Father, it is our great privilege, but it is also a responsibility for us to do your work your way. Give us wisdom for that. Help us to follow your pattern as you've laid it out. And Father, we pray that you will give those who serve you strength for their labor. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for coming today and sharing our service. Thanks, Craig, for being with us. I hope you'll come tonight. Uh, there are a lot of things going on tonight, but this is the this will be the best thing going on. I can guarantee it. Thanks, Nancy. says yes. Uh, come and join us tonight. 6 o'clock for our service. Uh, men, next Saturday morning, we have a men's breakfast and we're going to be privileged to have Najib Hashem. He's from Lebanon and I've met him through our local Shoreline Pastors group and he's doing exactly what Craig has been talking about this morning. Uh, going back to the Middle East, to Lebanon, six months a year and helping support the churches, the trainers, the indigenous work in Lebanon. Men, 8 o'clock next Saturday morning. Remember breakfast next Sunday. Get your tickets tonight, today for the dinner on Monday night for Women's Fellowship. And then also, um, ladies, remember there's a shower on Thursday night for Lamu Bowers. And their new baby is going to be coming. So Thursday night, remember to come for that. And I just want to also mention that we have about 30, we have exactly $30,000 in missionary pledges so far today. So please pray about your participation in our mission budget as we reach out to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, thank you for coming today. We look forward to seeing you tonight. And Craig, thanks for coming up and sharing with us the message today. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we do stand near the cross. Uh, we stand here beneath the cross. And Lord, it's the cross of Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul says, I will boast of nothing else but the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray today. We pray for our our pastors around the world. Uh, We pray for them. We pray for their work. We pray, Lord, many of them are in very difficult situations. They have met today. They are meeting today. And we continue to pray. We are brothers and sisters. We're going to spend eternity together rejoicing and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know your word tells us. It's your desire that nobody goes to hell. That nobody is unsaved. That's your desire. And you've invited us to be a part of that work. And we pray we will have that passion and burden. We look forward to tonight, Father. We look forward to coming and discussing and sharing more about this very important part of world missions that you've called your church to. Bless us as we leave this place. We look forward to walking with you this week. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can say together. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Craig, come and join me in the back here and come and greet us today. Elder short meeting right after church two, in room two oh seven right now, okay?